Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. The, the look on his face and the excitement of just feeling safe and being someplace where he has support and his mom saying, thank you, that kind of interaction keeps me going. What I felt that night, Faye, was like I could have worked the rest of the night with this family just to watch this little boy feeling like I'm here and I'm okay. Service to others is to me, one of the, the greatest gift that we can give ourselves as well as giving to others. It, it hurts more than the physical violence at times because the psychological piece never goes away. Walking on eggshell, the feeling as though any move you make could be the wrong move at any time. I get excited every day when I wake up knowing that I'm coming to help another human being. Hey there, it's Fei Wu, host for this show. Here's a little fun fact about me. I was originally a radio show host when I was just 16 years old. I ran a bilingual show for the China National Radio. Honestly, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was surrounded by people I admired who really knew what they were doing. So I learned by making mistakes. It was hard, but I had so much fun. Was anyone listening? I often wondered about that too. But I guess the hundreds of mails I received in school and at home explained it all. Handwritten letters? Yes. I kept a number of them still in my home in Beijing. Speaking of home, my guest today is Annette McDonald, who made me feel like home when I first spoke with her. I was a complete stranger to her, she didn't owe me anything and could easily turn me away, but she didn't. We bounded immediately, and you're going to find out all about that story. And the next thing I knew, we were chatting on the phone for hours. I invited her to the show. Because I found out that Annette McDonald founded an organization called Access Family Services in New Jersey that provides shelters and transitioning homes to women and children who are victims of domestic violence. My eyes lit up. Paying Forward is at the core of our podcast. We've interviewed so many inspiring philanthropists, social service workers in the past. Annette is among the shining stars of my world. Annette didn't come from a wealthy background. She's a single mom. Why would anyone want to pursue a career that has very little financial gains for 18 years? I asked her. She responded, Faye, it's just too important. If you can spend a day with her or volunteer at the shelter, shake hands with the people you touch and you help, that experience, I guarantee, will transform you. I've been there, and there's no word to describe it. If you haven't done it, you're truly missing out in life. If you get a kick out of this conversation, I am sure you will love exploring others under the paying forward category as well. So please visit faceworld.com forward slash podcast. But I know if you're listening to this, 
you've got a big heart to be interested in this conversation in the first place. We thank you for being part of our tribe, which may be small, but our listeners are legend. Without further ado, please welcome Annette McDonald to the Face World podcast. I think it's such a privilege to come from another culture. And especially, I think it's the case for women, because I think we, uh, the way I feel is I represent much more than just myself. And I want to be able to connect with women who aren't just Asian or just Chinese, but women living in America who come from an immigrant background or immigrants themselves, first, second, third generation, doesn't matter. And our voice and our stories can be so powerful and so resonating. Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, my mom came here when, I believe in the 1970s, actually. So she migrated from uh, Jamaica. And then she uh, ended up what we call filing for all of us. So we came here with our green card. Uh, I still remember my number, which is crazy. My green card number. For some reason, I I feel like the the immigrant story is so important, and it's stuck in my head. Where my mom always said, "Well, make sure you don't lose this green card because if you lose it, you may end up having to go back to Jamaica." So I I, I do uh, agree with uh, the the immigrant story and women's story it is so very important. Wow. And, you know, I just love meeting people face to face because there's so much, you know, when we meet someone new, we make up all the stories in our heads. And a lot of our interactions today, you know, whether it's driven by urgency or, you know, it's just that flash moment of that minimal interaction. And I started to think about the people I encounter in my life now. And I want to talk about the way that we met, and I will make that story very brief, but long story short, you know, my documentary team and I were traveling, were exhausted, and we ran into, a, you know, some, a couple of issues that you were so caring and you're so kind in responding to our needs and which really fostered this conversation, this relationship in such an unexpected way. And you, you call it serendipity. and it's, there's so much of that in life that we kind of overlook. You know, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do you think this happened by accident? (laughs) So I don't think it's by accident. I think people come into our lives for a reason. And I think we're blessed when we can identify why that person crossed our path. And that's why it is so important that no matter who it is, we treat everyone with care and with respect and with love. I ignored your needs and ignored what you were, or your concerns were when you and I spoke, right? You and I would not be speaking today. But my first thought was, your, what's best for Faye? What can I do to help Faye? And that's a natural it's a natural part of my being that I've come to understand. So your needs and what I needed to do to help you was really my first priority. And I was so touched by it. And, you know, because we go through life 
unfortunately, not experiencing so much of that. So I'm in a situation, for example, that I believe if I hire someone to do something, I always pay them immediately and because they've done amazing work. And I've also encountered clients who don't pay on time, who ignore your invoices, who don't really treat your work with respect. And then just discovering you in that moment, we were driving and we were, we've been sleeping for four hours a day. And that was the last interview. And then the way that you said to me, you said, Hey, Faye, I'm sure you and your team are exhausted. Please just grab the water, grab the snacks. Obviously we didn't take anything, but we, we took that message with so much care with heart. And you followed up with me. I was in the car, in the van, huge van with a tons of equipment. And my team were asking me, Faye, are you chatting with Annette? Like every time I was texting, they're like, you're not talking to us. So you must be talking to Annette. I'm like, how did you know we're friends now? I I felt the same way. And it's interesting the way you're coming off, even your voice. I didn't know you. I didn't know what you look like. Nothing. But the mere fact that you were receptive and you were your voice and you were as receptive as I felt, as I was feeling very concerned about your friends and the travel and not being able to provide for your, your needs right away. My first thought again was, what can I do to make sure they're okay? They're in a strange neighborhood. What can I do? And so that, your safety, your everything was about you. And of course, you know, I became incredibly interested in who you are as a person, your backstory. So I investigated that. And without you even mentioning a word on the phone, right? And clearly you're a very kind person. You have a very kind heart. So I discover, in fact, that you are a philanthropist and then you've been working in social service, which is a huge theme. The core of our podcast is social service and it's paying forward. Could you tell me a little bit about your organization, which is called the Access Family Services? What is it, what is it about? In a few words, we save lives at Access Family Services. We're a full-service domestic violence program in Essex County, New Jersey. We have a 15-bed homeless shelter, but it's a 15-bed specifically geared towards victims of domestic violence and their children. And that's a part, it's a big part of our services. As uh, along with our outreach services where we serve batters, uh, offenders of domestic violence as well. So I see both sides, the victim piece and also the perpetrators uh, piece as well. So in a nutshell, that is what we do 24 hours a day. It's a 24-hour operation, seven days a week, 365 days a week with awesome, awesome help and volunteers as well. Wow. And you've been doing this for how long, Annette? 18 years now, a long time. Very long wow. time. Yes. 18 years. Could you tell us, like, how do people approach you? Because I think we break down the barrier of thinking when a woman's life, and especially if her child's or children's lives are threatened. I mean, the desperation, it's just no words to really describe it. And you have to be calm. You have to be resourceful. Your fo- you may or may not have a phone or access to the internet. How do they reach out to you and connect with you? 
So many of our shelter, well, we we do for, uh, for example, we have a national domestic violence hotline. We have a local statewide hotline that they uh, are familiar with either through another agency that they may have come in contact with who are able to refer them to our hotline. So that's generally our first line of contact with a woman or a man, it doesn't matter, who needs our services. That is where we begin our safety planning and letting them know about our services. That's where the care and the, the, the concern and all of the, the safety planning begins right on the hotline. And it is a process. Is at that time when they're contacting us, they may not even want to come into shelter at all. They just might need information so that they can plan to come into shelter or plan for their safety along the way. So that's that's really the, their first line of contact, usually with us, is through a hotline. Mm-hmm. And you talk about voice and the tone, and that's kind of how I felt. I, I, I try to imagine how these women, men, children interact with you for the first time. And I know you're not the only one. They're volunteers it's impossible to do it all by yourself. But I just imagine the first interaction they have with you. What was your interaction? What is your interaction like with your clients in this case? So one particular uh, family comes to mind, and this just happened recently. There, uh, there's a family, uh, actually a family is still in with us. They came into shelter and it was a, a young man, probably about 10 or so, she came in with her children, and it was the first time. It was very late at night as well. And this child had probably a little computer t- television that he, he wanted to bring in with him, to take with him. They had obviously been to, I would say, maybe a couple different shelters. By the time they arrived here with us, the young man said to me, can we take my computer screen with me with the 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 television and I said no I'm so sorry we're not allowed to have that in in the room because it's a shared space I said but how about I show you where your space your personal space is which is a room for teens and preteen that we set up at the shelter for them and I brought him downstairs and he saw his, the TV and the games and everything was set up there for him. And he was so excited. And his mom obviously was concerned because here we're, we're saying, oh, no, you know, no television, no, no, no screen. And once she realized that room was there, she, I can see the sense of relief on her face. Then I said to him, how about I take you upstairs and show you your room? And I took him upstairs with me. And I opened the door and I said, this is your space. He goes, oh my God, is this a room? He said, is this my bathroom? So that, that the, the look on his face and the excitement of just feeling safe and being someplace where he has support and his mom saying thank you in her silent voice, just to say thank you. That kind of interaction keeps me going. It, the, the what I felt that night, Faye, was like I could have worked the rest of the night with this family just to watch this little boy go through that that sense of of, of gratitude, of of feeling like I'm here and I'm okay. 
So that's just one of my interaction among uh, many. Hi there, this is Fei Wu, and you're listening to the Face World podcast. Today on the show, we welcome Annette McDonald, who is a social service advocate and started the Access Family Services in New Jersey that provides shelters and transitioning homes to women and children who are victims of domestic violence. She's a single mom with limited resources, and she's been doing this for 18 years. Today, we share her incredible stories and those she helped along the way. This is why I sense that not only it's an enjoyment that makes you happy, it almost feels like it's maybe the wrong word. It's most like an addiction, an addiction to help other people because it gives you such joy eternally. And it, it kind of, the way you describe that story, I feel like you're showered with joy. You know what I mean? Like there's so much of what we do in, in life, doesn't matter how much you spent on material goods. And immediately I noticed myself when I was a kid, I would get a piece of candy for 50 cents, to, you know, and I would feel so happy for a long time. Whereas now as an adult, I could go shopping, find my favorite dress. And then the moment I come back home and I realized just the package, sometimes you don't even touch the bag, the shopping bag, you don't even touch it. You forgot it even existed. It doesn't give you nearly the same level of satisfaction. Why do, why do you think that is? It's, why do you think you feel that way? We feel that way helping other people. Service to others, I find, has, for me, been so gratifying. And probably for you, too. And you described it. Uh, when you're able to impact or affect someone's life, a human being's life, to somehow offer them something, give them information, provide a home or something in return. Yes, you know what? They're doing that for them and that is great. But I think that joy that you feel inside, money, nothing in the world can really beat that. To me, that's how I feel. That that night when I met with that family, it just reminded me so much of this is what I need to do. This is what's important. The smile that's on his face. A million dollars is great. Yes, and we do need that to run these programs here in New Jersey. However, just the mere gratification of knowing that he's safe means the world. So service to others is, to me, one of the, the greatest gift that we can give ourselves uh, in, as well as giving to others. Absolutely. What brought you into this program? Like what happened in your 30s and how could nobody commit to a career for, you know, forget about 18 years, even two years on average, one to two years. How did this start? When I look back, sometimes it's important to look back to move forward. When I look back at my history, I realized after being in this field for such a long time that I've been I've had that social work heart from I was maybe seven years old. I remember as far back helping my, my grandma. She's uh, She had three sisters. She was one of a uh, twin sister and then another that was uh, uh, the third, the first child uh, for my grandparents. 
parents. And I remember helping this grand, this grand aunt of mine because she had no children at the time in the neighborhood and going there after school, making sure she was clean, making sure she was okay. And I was very young, but I recall that experience for such a long time ago. And then obviously moving to this country uh, much later on, living with my family, I ended up being a child witness of domestic violence myself. So after living many years with this and, and knowing for many people going through domestic violence, even children, it is a very difficult thing to talk about. It's what we call, you know, relationships and crimes that thrives in secrecy and silence. No one wants to talk about what's going on. And especially as a young child growing up in a household where some of that was seen, you don't know where to go, where to turn, and, and what happens next. To fast forward, I moved to New Jersey, and this is when I, I say nothing is a coincidence, and I'll get back to it. I moved to New Jersey, and I got a speeding ticket. This is my entrance into this field, and the speeding ticket led me to a courtroom. When I got to the courtroom, there was a victim there responding to a domestic violence incident, and this victim first. She said the word, uh, I do not want my husband arrested. He's the father of my children. I don't want him arrested. And the judge said, uh, ma'am, I'm sorry. We are issuing a warrant for his arrest. I sat there and I'll tell you, Faye, up till today, I, I, I'm sure I paid the ticket <laughs> because I never received any, any more uh, uh, notices. But I, I got lost in that whole uh, courtroom and in her situation it reminded me of what I had gone through with hearing uh, my mom saying, I'm dropping the, the restraining order. I don't want to go through this. I actually went home and journaled. That was my first entry into journaling. And I journaled that day, if only this woman had an advocate with her, that may, she may or may not have been so willing to drop that restraining order. And support is really, really important for victims. Really, I, I, the advocacy and the amount of, of work that volunteers and staff put in is very important. Fast forward 10 years to almost to that day, I became a volunteer at a domestic violence shelter. One day on a Sunday uh, afternoon, I would go and volunteer. And so I had that experience of of working with families and then realizing that there's so much more that we can do to help these programs. And I wanted to find out what more could I do. And I ended up uh, staying at that program for a very long time and take a full-time job in after volunteering for several months at that program. I love the backstory. I think, like you said, sometimes we almost neglect our own stories. and it's kind of interesting, even with me coming to this country at the age of 17, I felt like part of me sweeped that under the rug because I felt a little embarrassed to talk about things that happened half a lifetime ago. I also assume that perhaps so many people, especially people who grew up in this country, find it difficult to relate to that story as if, you know, I don't want to waste people's time if it's, you know, it doesn't overlap in, in any way. But 
the most surprising thing is whenever I go on a podcast and when I'm being interviewed, that's the number one question will ever come up is what was that journey like? Mm-hmm. What were you like at the age of 17, not speaking the language and finding a roommate and 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 it started snowing in, in the in Maine in the middle of October? And and I realized, wow, it's we need to share. And like you said, we need to look back to where we came from because that is our origin. So I'm very interested in your volunteer work and kind of how you set up and then the the 18 years. And I would like to perhaps, you know, help some of the listeners understand and dissect domestic violence a little bit more because my experience working um, in homeless shelters and, uh, you know, Friends of Boston Homeless is I learned the critical fact that People didn't want this for themselves. People assume, you know, everyday people who have steady jobs think that, oh, because somebody did drugs or they did something really wrong, they, you know, and it's not the case. A lot of people found themselves in a very vulnerable position and they can get out. So kind of related to domestic violence, how should people even look at this issue? How does it come about? Yeah, so the, the, the thing with, you've mentioned the homeless shelters and people being there uh, in a homeless shelter, and they don't want to be homeless. Of course not. Nobody wants to be homeless, right? So no one wants to be a victim of domestic violence. These are oftentimes the most intimate people that we love and care about who are perpetrating the violence against each other or perpetrating the violence against a victim. It's really, there's a lot of power and control dynamics that goes on in a relationship, right? Use the, using the children, uh, the manipulation, the psychological abuse, all of that plays into the victimization of someone. You don't judge. You, you don't judge and you don't know what a person is going through just by assuming something. You can look perfectly well-dressed, well put together, and that person is going through the most, the worst coercive controlling behavior ever in a relationship. Coercive controlling behavior can be if you go to the mailbox to pick up uh, an envelope. It could be a financial statement. I don't want you to look at it. And, and she's so fearful or he's, that person is so fearful that they never go to the mailbox. And over time, that breaks that person's esteem down. It breaks their spirit down. So the fear part of the, the, the fear of the violence or even the sexual violence connected to the homelessness is very, very Hi there, it's Faye again. Thanks so much for listening to part one of the interview. Don't forget there is part two. If you're on your podcast app, all you have to do is go to your episodes and scroll right up. Part two should appear right above part one. And if you're using a different app like I am, I love Overcast, the way that you will find Uh, Part two is under unplayed episodes, should also be right above part one. 